The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 200! <laughs> I think we've done rather well so far, haven't you? <laughs> More by luck than by judgment, uh. if you ask me. Hey, you're not going to regenerate again, are you? I don't know what's going to happen. I'm Pretty Boy. Yes. Pretty? Yes. Hello, Stonehenge! Actually, I think I may have gone a little too far. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing, for our 200th episode celebration, a special topic, our 10 essential stories of Doctor Who. And we'll get into what that means in a second. But first, joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? And we should remember those that uh, who used to be with us at the very beginning. Yeah. Father Roderick and Stephanie Week. They were both with us uh, as we began the podcast. and. Uh, They've since moved on. Yeah. I listened to episode one and it was kind of funny to listen to. First of all, because it is, we have kind of evolved our format over the time, but oh, also yeah. like we didn't know who Missy was yet. We didn't know how <laughs> Peter Capaldi's doctor would turn out. Yep. It was just, it was just kind of funny to listen to all these, all these things that we didn't know then that we were speculating on and going, you know, was it Missy was, what was one of the, the things that we thought she was another time Lord, like the Ronnie, you know, and things like yep. that. It's like, and then it was just kind of snuck in. Well, there's there's a possibility she could be the master, maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, so we started six years ago with the very first episode uh, of uh, Peter Capaldi's Twelfth Doctor. Deep Breath was it? Yep. And we've gone ever since. In the beginning, we only were doing new episodes where we you know covered uh, and the new seasons, the new the the Twelfth Doctor stuff, and then eventually we decided we're having so much fun. And I haven't watched the old stuff. We should start uh, doing all the Doctor Who and going back through all of it. And so we've been doing that for the past several years, and it's been great ever since. This time we decided that we're going to do a, a little different from our usual episode review. We're, we're going to talk about the top, our top 10 essential stories for Doctor Who. And this is, if you were going to introduce Doctor Who to someone new, what would you, what shows would you recommend? Which episodes? And we're not going to just do single episodes because, of course, in the early early days of Doctor Who, it was uh you know a, a one story covered mm-hmm. you know two four ten, ten. Yeah. <laughs> separate episodes. War games. I'm looking at you. <laughs> and uh, oh, don't and, forget and, the Daleks master plan. That's even longer. Oh my gosh, we haven't got to that yet. And if you want to be really picky, you could say uh, Trial of the Time Lord, which was an entire season. Right. Yes, that's true. That's Four true. serials, but it was a st- whole story over the entire season. Right. Right. And uh, so we're gonna so we're gonna kind of lump things together, and and I think we could lump uh, even a new who like two parters together that obviously mm-hmm. go together. That would be fine too. So we're gonna talk about that now. Again, as as regular listeners know, my exposure to classic who is limited. I'm still watching them, but you both are much more familiar with all of mm-hmm. classic who. So your lists will definitely be different from mine. 
the only classic Who stuff on mine is going to be stuff I've already seen. So we're going to go through it one by one and each throw out one that we think should be on the list and talk a little bit about it. And we'll there'll obviously be overlap. That's for sure. But as 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 the host, I'm going to take privilege and go first. Uh, oh. I'll, I'll be rude like that and just throw out the 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 one that I think we should definitely start with, which is. I'm not going to go back to the first Doctor's first episode. I'm going to go to the second serial, The Daleks, Mm. uh, which is the first real Doctor adventure that feels like what we think of as when we think of Doctor Who, because they're going to another time, another planet. It's the Daleks, the introduction of Daleks. And you even see the Doctor's machinations at work, the way he works his plans. So I'm going to say the first one on our list should be the Daleks from the first Doctor's first season. Anyone agree, disagree? Is this on your list too? It's not on my list, but I think it's a good choice. (laughs) Spoilers, sweetie. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. So uh, that's my first pick. So uh, Jimmy, what's what's your first uh, story you want to pick? Well, I was, in doing my homework for this, I noted an ambiguity in the phrasing of the question that was put to us uh, in, in, in the, you know, what is an, what, what is an essential episode, essential okay. from, what, from what perspective? Because there's more than one perspective. It could be essential in terms of viewing enjoyment, mm-hmm. or it could be essential in terms of what it did to build the mythology of the show. Okay. Like if you wanted to watch what are the key turning points in the history of the show and consider those the essential episodes, even if even if there are other episodes that, you know, you might watch more for fun. So on for some of mine, um, especially in the first half of my list, I had two from the diff- two different essential perspectives. Okay. So for my number 10 slot, I also have a bonus. Uh, but for my number ten slot, I had the Daleks because okay. of it, it because of its pivotal role in establishing the most popular antagonist. It yep. also is the first visit an alien planet story. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, that's that's quite essential. Also at this level, though, if I'm thinking about what's from the first Doctor's era that I would want to watch just for fun. It's one we haven't watched as a group yet. The Web Planet. Mm. The Web Planet is one where the Doctor goes to an, another planet, and it's the Hartnell era at its absolute most ambitious. Because what they try to do in the Web Planet is establish an entire ecosystem with multiple insect races of different, mm. like there's two sentient races and there's a third non sentient race. And they're trying to have these people, you know, these butterfly people and these ant people and these aphid-like people or creatures on a 1960s children's television show budget. And mm. yes, the, it's it's as it's as shaky. As, the effects are as shaky as anything. In fact, <laughs> at one point, a giant ant bumps into the camera. <laughs> but I just admire the ambition of that. I, I love trying to see them flesh out this entire ecosystem of a world on for children. And I think it's great. So from an enjoyment perspective for the Hartnell era, I would have the web planet. 
Also, a bonus essential episode, which you alluded to, I had the first episode, uh, An Unearthly Child. Not the rest with the caveman stuff, because that's boring yeah. as tears. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the original, very first episode, to, which yeah. introduces the Doctor and Susan and Ian and Barbara. Okay. Father Corey, what's your first one? Well, I was going to do an honorable mention of the first episode of An Earthly Child, but since Jimmy stole it from me. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no stealing. There's no stealing. It's just picking. Since he yeah. took three choices. No, I'm kidding. I'm just joking. <laughs> You know, I, I did kind of initially kind of took it like like Jimmy's where the it was a combination of what helped with the mythology of Doctor Who and what helped what was more entertaining. And so my, my first choice going uh, with more of the entertaining side is City of Death, which is a fourth Doctor mm. episode we haven't watched yet. And the reason why I picked that one is because it is extremely entertaining. It is probably the best example of the Douglas Adams episode. Yeah. So oh. Douglas Adams wrote this episode under a pseudonym uh, because I think at the time he was the also the uh, script editor. Script editor. Yeah. Because uh, he was for a couple of years under the fourth doctor. And of course, if you've read Douglas Adams, if you've read Hitchhiker's Guide, you know he is a fantastic comedic sci fi author. What a marvelous butler. He's so violent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, it, Tom Baker gets to be very much, a, you know, kind of the physical slapstick type doctor. And it's such a great story. It, it's it's the one where if you've seen the clip where John Cleese and I, I can't remember who the actress is, they're sitting in this art museum looking at the TARDIS and talking about how absurd it is that's there. And it's, it's through its absurdity. It's so wonderful in the doctor and as uh, a piece of art. Yeah, as a piece of art in the Dr. Romana can go running into the TARDIS and take off. And they're just like exquisite <laughs> that's where this comes from it's absolutely so john it, cleese is in that episode yeah just this one little oh, cameo that this one is little awesome. cameos there in the art museum <laughs> staring at the tardis as an art piece so it, it's uh it, for the entertainment value alone it, it is so worth uh watching it but again it's yeah, an okay. example of of douglas adams and the tom baker it is as comedic so okay awesome that's a good one my next one I'm going to pick is another introduction of a classic Doctor Who villain, and this is The Tomb of the Cybermen, which is another one we've watched. Uh, this is second Doctor, Patrick Troughton. Uh, it, so it's not the introduction of the Cybermen, of course. That was Tenth Planet. But it's a real – I think it's a good realization of the Cybermen in their original incarnation. I really like – because we also have the first time with the Cyber Controller, the first time with Cybermats, and it, you really get a sense of – their villainy, their dangerousness. And the second doctor in this one is quirky, but he's also strong and he's also kind. There's that real, that moment with Victoria, which two of the Cybermen falls on from one we just watched where Victoria joins the, the TARDIS for the first time where we watched, uh, what was it? The evil of the Daleks. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so Victoria just joined them. And so in two of the Cybermen, you get to see the doctor consoling her for her, for the loss of her father and the loss of time where she's out of her time. And so that was really nice. And of course it's Jamie because Jamie's really awesome. And I really always enjoy <laughs> ones with Jamie. So uh, that's my pick is second is a uh, tomb of the Cybermen. Cool. Jimmy, what's, what's your next one? Well, in composing the list, I tried to think of something from every era of doctor who, and I didn't mm -hmm. have one from every single doctor, right? Like there is no six on my list. Uh, that's um, obvious. <laughs> but <laughs> despite the pivotality of Trial of a Time Lord, there there is no six. 
Yeah. And then after I had my list, I went through and ranked them. And okay. the rankings are more in terms of enjoyment level. So we're moving up in that regard, both in enjoyment and in time to the second doctor. And for plot essentiality, as a turning point in the series, I did the War Games, which is mm. uh, you know the 10-part series where that led up to Patrick Troughton's regeneration, and it's the first introduction to the Time Lords. It's the very first time in the series that we learn about the Doctor's people. Previously, we have met the Doctor, Susan, and the meddling monk, and, we've, mm-hmm. and, and in, in the course of the War Games, we also meet the War Master, and all of those are people we knew to belong to the Doctor's people. But we had never seen them in their home environment. We didn't know their name or anything like that. We didn't know what the relationship was really between them and the doctor other than that he'd left. And so we start getting answers in a big way. We learn who the Time Lords are. We learn about their non-interference policy. We learn the doctor has been violating that. We get to see Gallifrey in a limited fashion for the first time when the doctor is put on trial. The final episode of the War Games. Now it's a ten-parter, so it tends it it, it kind of drags in places. <laughs> a lot of it is, although a lot of it is is really interesting. I think it could have been trimmed to maybe a six-parter, mm-hmm. and it would have been much tighter. But a lot of it is in these simulated environments where there are different war games going on from different periods in Earth's history, and then there's a sci-fi behind-the-scenes kind of thing going on in it. And then in the last episode, we get the we get a really, really taut, dramatic introduction to the Time Lords, who do not come off as all bad. They yep. actually kind of come off as, you know, we're kind of regretting what we're having to do here, Doctor, but, you know, we need to do this. And so it's an essential moment in the mythology of the show. In terms of enjoyment from the Patrick Troughton era, I picked the same one you did, Dom. I picked Tomb of the Cybermen. It's got a lot of great moments in it, including, you know, just like a sight gag between <laughs> the Doctor and Jamie. There's just a lot of fun in there. Yep. And a lot of creepy stuff, too. Bot- real body horror with the Cybermen mm-hmm. and also the famous scene of them breaking out of their tombs. Yes. And a lot of nice stuff in that. Great. Father Corey. For the next one, I, I went to the first Doctor and I went with the 10th planet. And of course, mm-hmm. the reason for that one is introduction of the Cybermen, you know, tying in with the Cybermen, but mm-hmm. also, of course, the fact that that was the story that gave us regeneration. That was yeah. where we first saw this idea that the Doctor could have more than one face and personality and, of course, actor, because it allowed <laughs> the series to survive for almost 60 years now because of this um, gift of, of regeneration, if you will. So, it, it, you know, and it, it's, it's not a bad episode on its own. You know, the, the Cybermen definitely got a lot of development after uh, it, one of which is being able to actually understand them when they speak, but <laughs> yes, I do not know why you do not like the Cybermen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. From the first episode. <laughs> actually, I I like the that those voices. Well, I it, it's I like the 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 idea of it where it is. It's so inhuman of a, a, right. a speech pattern, but it was just it was hard to understand, especially you know understanding recording technology at the time. Yeah. The audio didn't come across very well. The effect they put on them, yeah. And then, of course, like Jimmy talks about, you know, you see the body horror of the of the Cybermen so much more clearly in that that episode than you do maybe in later episodes. Uh, mm. But again, it just just the fact that it, it's such an essential aspect of Doctor Who that that the Doctor can regenerate makes it worth watching. 
So for my next one, this is going to be my last of the classic Who picks because, like I said, my, most of my experiences in New Who. But uh, for for this one, it's it's another Dalek episode, but it's because it's really good. And this is Genesis of the Daleks, Fourth Doctor, season twelve. Uh, it's the origin story of the Daleks. Of course, it doesn't come chronologically first, but it's the how, where did the Daleks come from? It's the first appearance of Davros. Uh, we see Skaros again. And uh, what it really sets us apart is the Doctor's moral dilemma here about do I wipe out the Daleks from their beginning, from their origin, and save the, the universe, the, that, but does the end justify the means? And that whole thing. And, and we're left with this moment as, as, a, as a fan of going, oh, if only he had connected those two wires so much would have been different tom baker of course is 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 great as usual and and this it's it's the that classic doctor style where he's not invincible he's not time lord victorious he is you know fallible in many ways and you know he he has but he has to succeed regardless of whatever whatever weaknesses or or obstacles he encounters so genesis the daleks that's my my pick for for the next one Jimmy? So uh, moving up my list to the number eight slot, I have two from the third Doctor's era. First, from the essentiality perspective, I have Spearhead from Space, Mm -hmm. which was the introduction of the third Doctor and features him in post-regeneration trauma. And this is the very first color episode of the show. So it's, it's essential from that perspective. There was a big shift in the way they made the show, transitioning it to color with the 1970s. It had been black and white all through the 60s. And it also introduces the Autons, who are a somewhat minor villain, but they do recur. And in particular, Spearhead from Space is the introduction. It's not the first appearance of Unit. Unit had already been in a couple of Patrick Troughton stories. But it's the beginning of the unit era with Mm. the doctor stuck on Earth, unable to use the TARDIS. And this went on for some time. So it's Mm -hmm. a significant era in the show's history. And as the introduction to that, I thought it was essential from that perspective to help you understand Mm. what's going on in this era. For enjoyment from the John Pertwee era, I have another story featuring the Autons, Terror of the Autons. Which introduce, which is also significant because it introduces the master, and that makes it more enjoyable because we've got the master, the doctor. And this one is not laying in a bed or in post regeneration trauma; he's fully functioning. And so we get the introduction of the Holmes Moriarty relationship between the doctor and the master, and that makes it more enjoyable as a watch, even though it's mm-hmm. less essential from a, a certain point of view. Yeah, I I think the introduction of the master does kind of qualify it as essential for if you want to just even yeah. know Doctor Who. So yeah, that, I agree with that one. Uh, Roger Delgado, of course. Okay, F- Father Corey, what's your next one? Well, I'm going to say is ditto on both. <laughs> 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 no, uh, Genesis Daleks again. Obviously, you know that is the, the Daleks, and, and again, it, it's also a good example of a fourth Doctor story because mm-hmm. there's a couple of stories I picked that. They're really not that good of stories. They just introduce some element that's important. But yep. Genesis Daleks obviously is a great story. 
And then Terra the Autons for bringing in the Master, the Master who's a character that <laughs> recurs a lot, even though he's he's been dead, you know, how many hundreds of times, but he still comes <laughs> back. You know? Right. But uh, it, it, you know, and it, it's not a bad story in its own. Although I'm I'm not the biggest fan of the Autons as a, a villain, and I'm kind of glad yeah. they faded away pretty quickly, only to come back for one of my choices later on. Just, mm-hmm. but as a as a fill-in villain, just to put something in there as to, because they really weren't important to the story. But yeah, I mean, again, it's just the, the, the master and, you know, Roger Delgado playing the master. I, I he's still just one of the best. So uh, I'm going to change it up and I'm going to start go. I'm going to put myself at the end of the rotation because uh, I'm, I'm now all in new who. So I'm going to uh, let uh, kind of stick with the classic stuff that I think that J- Jimmy father, you're going to do. So uh, Jimmy, what's your next pick? At this point now, my first three picks were first Doctor, second Doctor, and third Doctor. But here we have a jump to the seventh Doctor, Remembrance of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Remembrance of the Daleks, which we recently watched as a group, is a very interesting uh, film, uh, is a very interesting story. It's an anniversary one, so they're sinking back to 1963. In fact, the Doctor, the seventh Doctor and Ace go back to 1963 where the Doctor has left the Hand of Omega. So they're building in, they're retconning events from an unearthly child. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the Doctor and Susan had brought this Time Lord device back there, and the Doctor had left it with an with a, an undertaker to be buried, but the burial hasn't been done yet, and now we see that. Except now that the Doctor has met the Daleks, and the Daleks are interfering in 1963, he then crafts a plan where he does what he refused to do in Genesis of the Daleks and tricks Davros into blowing up Skaro. And this is clearly one of the most significant events in the Time War, in starting it. You know, you blow up the Daleks on planet, they're going to retaliate. And so this is a very pivotal episode. It's also one of the most accessible Mm -hmm. stories from the Seventh Doctor era, both for the Doctor himself and for Ace in terms of character development. You get to see the Doctor at not at his most Machiavellian. He actually gets more Machiavellian than this, Mm -hmm. but he is quite Machiavellian and scheming in this. And Ace, meanwhile, is confronting some hard realities because she falls in love with this guy. And he's not who she thinks he is, and he's actually quite disappointing to her as she confronts some hard realities about 1960s society. Mm. So it's a really enjoyable and well-done episode. Father Corey? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, as I said, you know, some of these episodes I picked, I think they're, they're, they've, they've really added to the lore of Doctor Who, but they're really not that great of episodes. And the first, the, the one I'm going to pick that, that fits that category is the three doctors. Mm. It's the first of the multi-doctor stories. It's the first yeah. one where we have more than one regeneration of the doctor in the same story at the same time. It's not, it's not, if I would have to rate the multi-doctor stories, it's probably one of the better ones, but that's not mm. saying that's not much. Saying much. <laughs> it's certainly <laughs> not saying much. Certainly better than the two doctors. Yeah, very yeah. much. Well, that's not. And that's definitely not doctors. saying much either. <laughs> and the five. Well, that's doctors. not hard. Yeah, but it, it's of, of, yeah of the, of the classic who multi doctor stories. It's it's the best. I, I agree with you on that, Jimmy. Definitely. It's also a story that really advanced the Time Lord mythology as well. The idea of 
Omega himself, mm-hmm. that he was the one who created the Eye of Harmony that became the power source that allowed the and He was also one of the architects who helped the, the uh, Time Lords discover time technology, time travel technology and, and TARDISes and all these things that, that are built into what are Time Lords. This kind of this set a lot of that down in, in the lore of Doctor Who in this one, one story. It was a 10th anniversary story. That's why it was the first multi-generational doctor story uh so it, again it's it, it limps it's kind of painful at times but it does add a lot to the lore so do the bubble wrap monsters in it limp at times yep exactly <laughs> exactly so we we do in that one actually it, it does have some quite significant elements in it we also get to see gallifrey for the second time yep. and we get a much better look at it than we did in the war games uh, we so we get a much better handle on Time Lord society and how it works. Also, it ends the exile on Earth period for the Doctor yes. because in gratitude they give the Doctor the use of the TARDIS back and he gets to start traveling with Joe in space and time again. Oh, okay. So that's so it's but from our perspective, it's more than a season away from our watch of the Third Doctor. But uh, yep. that's that's interesting. Yeah, we still got a ways to go for uh, doing it as part of our rewatch, but. It's a, Excellent. it's worth watching. Just don't cringe too hard while you're watching it. <laughs> so that's my turn. I'm now in new who, and I'm going to pick my new who ones. They're mostly in order, but not strictly necessarily. And my first one is going to be one. I think we've all talked about before is one of our favorites. Uh, and, and again, I want to reiterate, I'm, I'm going essentials. And this is, if you want to get a flavor from my point of view, what I'm, my list is, if you want to get a flavor of, what is Doctor Who about? What is it like? Uh, th- that's where, where I'm coming from. And so that's why I picked Midnight, the 10th Doctor story. Mm-hmm. It's a little different from other ones, but it's a really great example of what Doctor Who can be. It, it could be various things. It could be high adventure, running around, you know, that sort of thing, action. Or it can be very cerebral and almost like a stage play. And that's what Midnight feels like to me. It's a bottle show, as they say. It's takes place mostly in one set in fact there's no companions just the doctor and some other people who are on this uh, transport traveling on this planet that's it's a unique uh, idea of a place to visit it's a planet that's completely deadly even to look at um it's got tight writing and acting is is good in it there's high tension throughout the doctor is definitely not in control of the situation and we never get the mystery unraveled. We end this episode with a mystery still in place. We have dramatic resolution in that yes. everybody is safe, but in terms right. of what was that, we don't mm-hmm. get we don't get yes. the curtain pulled back. Yeah, or yeah, even what exactly happened? What did he encounter? We don't. Yeah, I, I love that aspect of it. So uh, that's I, I think Midnight is a great example of that type of Doctor Who story. Uh, if you if you're looking for it, so uh, that's my next pick, uh, Jimmy. What's your next one? So uh, moving up to number six, I have my fifth Doctor entry, and I have two again from from the two different perspectives. From the mechanical essentiality perspective, I have Earthshock, mm-hmm. which is famous as ridding the universe of one of the greatest <laughs> plagues upon it ever. <laughs> and also setting up human evolution. Um, so it's also a shameless ripoff of Alien and Aliens. Yep. 
the you know movies with uh, Sigourney Weaver. And so it's it's actually pretty fun in addition to being pivotal, but it's it's the most famous instance of a companion death in the history of Doctor Who. There have been other companion deaths, some of which have been reversed, some of which have not. This is one that, at least in terms of the TV show, has not been reversed, although in some of the spinoff media it has. But, wow, it is played for drama. Mm. It is very dramatic the way it happens. And the serial actually ends with the death. So that's the Mm -hmm. climactic event. The doctor and other surviving companions are so stunned at the end that they just played the credits role with no soundtrack. Right. And uh and a symbol of the loss. And so it is it is very, very dramatic and pivotal for that reason. Another one that's actually arguably as pivotal, but maybe not quite, it's not quite as famous from that perspective, but is considered one of the best written and often the best written classic Doctor Who serial, The Caves of Androzani, mm. where the Doctor Peter Davison's fifth doctor ends up sacrificing himself in order to save a companion and thus regenerating and watching him. He actually suffers the fatal wound earlier than you would think, and he's staving off his regeneration. He's fighting against it in order to save everybody. And he's, in the end, he's able to, it comes down to he needs to save both himself and his companion after everyone else is taken care of, and he can only save one of them, and he chooses his companion. Right, right. This is also the key Robert Holmes uh, entry that I have, uh, Robert Mm -hmm. Holmes being considered one of the best writers in the history of the show. Good choice, good choice. Father Corey? So I'm picking another story that, that does a lot of revealing the Time Lords, and this is where we get to see more of the political aspect of the Time Lords. I'm talking about Deadly Assassin. Deadly Assassin, mm-hmm. another Fourth Doctor story. There was a mm-hmm. lot of development of the Time Lords in the Third and Fourth Doctors, especially in the Tom Baker's era. Yeah, we got two stories set entirely on Gallifrey, right? And this is this is one of them. And you know, the idea is that the the Doctor has a premonition that he's assassinating the Lord President, who is resigning and is naming his successor. Obviously, it's you know, it's not by election, <laughs> but it's by <laughs> succession apparently. But it shows us a lot of the culture of Gallifrey, a lot of the, again, the political structure of the Time Lords, a lot of, you know, a lot of that kind of thing. I, I it's, it's an interesting story. It's a master story, but it's, it's the, it's the burned master. So it, it's the, the, the master between regenerations, basically. The first burned master. Yep. Between Delgado and, and, uh, Anthony. Ainley. Ainley. I thought so. I couldn't remember for sure, but it, it's, again, it, it's, it's revealing a lot more about the Time Lords. We get to understand them better get to see some of the you can the, the, some of the intrigue you can see kind of the, the parliamentary intrigue and things like that you know you can definitely tell it was based off more of a british style governance not a surprise but yeah it's 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 worth watching again for that and it's it's not a bad story i don't think it's a bad story in my opinion but it, it's definitely not one of the, the, the oh greatest oh you must go out and watch this because it's very entertaining it gets a little mm. slow especially in the matrix anytime you have a holodeck in a show it decreases my interest yeah <laughs> and that's and that's one of the big things that it really introduces to us is the matrix what the matrix is like of course that, that comes back again and again and again including up into the 13th doctor we see right. the matrix. 
That's right. All right. So that brings me to my next pick, and this is one we've just recently watched as we as we record this. Uh, it which is uh, Vincent and the Doctor, the Eleventh Doctor story. Mm. I really love this episode because it does several things. It's it's a beautiful exposition of art and beauty, but also of suffering and uh, the human condition. And that's another thing when Doctor Who's at its best. It's really ex- exploring the human condition and these aspects of, of what, it, what it means. And, and it really brings it out by encountering an historical figure who, who can provide some of this insight that we get. And so I really – and plus I just – I love that, that final scene in the, uh, the Musée d'Orsay with, with Vincent. And it's just, it's just so well done and so well acted that, and written, that final scene. So mine is going to be Vincent and the Doctor. That was my next one. Jimmy, what's your, what's your next pick? Okay, in the number five slot, I'm covering the Tom Baker era, and from the two different perspectives, I have, in terms of essentiality, Genesis of the Daleks, because this does let us go back and see the origin of the Daleks. It's uh, a great morality tale, in that the Doctor, we see, you know, this Nazi, explicitly Nazi-like society and how Mm -hmm. it evolves as well as the doctor's moral struggle of do I become like them if I fulfill my mission here and end them. It also is a a quite enjoyable story, although as a six-parter, it drags. Mm -hmm. But if you want to understand the mythology of Doctor Who, understanding how the Daleks came to be is a key part of that. So it gets the essentiality ranking for this uh, one. In terms of just something I would watch from the from the fourth doctor tom baker's era more for fun less because it's essential but just for the enjoyment experience mm-hmm. i i could have said city of death mm-hmm. but i actually didn't think of that one instead what i thought of was the talons of wang chiang mm-hmm. this is one that we haven't watched as a group yet but it takes the doctor and leela to 19th century london where there are a series of murders that are occurring somewhat like Jack the Ripper, but not Jack the Ripper. And we get into the world of theater and it turns out there's interference from like the 40th century happening. And there's a homunculus with a pig brain and it's, it's (laughs) very Conan Doyle, very H Ryder Haggard, very Jules Verne kind of story. And has really has a lot of the feel of the period. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, that's that should be coming up for us not too long. Or actually a little bit, but uh okay, that I guess that uh Father Corey, that brings it to you. So um, I mean this is gonna be my last uh classic who choice. But mm-hmm. and the reason why I picked it as my last classic who choice is because it's the last classic who episode, survival. Hmm. Seventh Doctor. It was the last episode before it went into hiatus. It wasn't originally intended to be that. So it doesn't have a conclusion. It's not like they had just big ending episode. It was the end of a season. And it's got the master. They're on this planet where the people over time turn into cats, basically. They turn into cat people, including the master is infected by this. And Ace. And Ace. Yep. Although she's able to fight it off actually a little better than the master is. He's almost welcoming it. He's almost just coming to it willingly. It really is an interesting episode, but it's interesting again. Because it was the final episode before Classic Who went into hiatus, 
Uh, they kind of slapped a little ending there where the doctor's talking about, you know, somewhere the T's on, let's go, Ace. We got places to be. And that's literally the last time the doctor's on TV until 1996 with the Doctor Who movie. Hmm. It, it's one of those, of course, I remember when it came out that it was just such a shock of, that's it? There's no, like, ending to the series. It's just it's just going to go in hiatus. And, of course, that, that's something that really drove fans nuts was, the series never was canceled. It was always put on hiatus or sometime later, sometime later. Right. And of course that later didn't come until 96. And then of course, 2005, 16 years. Yeah. I, I consider it essential because it's kind of essential to see where did the show cut off? You know, where did the show mm. kind of end with a lot of questions more than answers? So, well, I'm glad you picked that one because my pick, is going to be the where it picked up again, not 90, in 1996, but in 2005, where we have the ninth Doctor in Rose. Is this is not the greatest episode of Doctor Who? Not even, <laughs> not even my top ten. But it's you, I you feel didn't, like, you didn't like the plastic Mickey in it. <laughs> yeah, right. Everybody needs a plastic Mickey. No, uh, this one is it's essential because it really sets the stage for new who this is what to expect Mm -hmm. because especially for for those of you who are fans of the classic who at the time what is this new thing going to be like you know we cut you kind of get a hint from the 96 movie that that if they if it comes back it might be different from what we remembered but this really changes the the show the pacing is different the stories are somewhat different they're they're usually one single uh 40 minute episode and we we get a a new doctor, a new companion. We've got the TARDIS, which looks very different inside, and so it really sets the stage for what New Who has become, and the stamp that Russell T Davies put upon it, and also the Ninth Doctor put upon it. I mean that this is really everything grew out of this seed of Rose. So that's that was my next pick, uh, Jimmy. What's your next two picks? So, um, moving up into the top four, I move up into the New Who era, and all of my top four are from the New Who era, and not a lot significant to the mythology of the show has happened in the New Who era. The most significant thing is the Timeless Child, but right. I'm, I'm, that's so really peripheral to the character of the of the show and it hasn't been exploited in any significant way yet and may never be it's just oh guess what there were more regenerations than we knew about it's it's too minor to me to rank that at mm-hmm. for essentiality so i have no essentiality rankings for the top 4 slots they're all just based on enjoyment okay so these are the four things that i would and have shown to people sitting them down to watch Doctor Who for the first time. If they know nothing else about the series, these top four slots are what I would show them and have showed them. And I didn't have a... I I find your previous choice uh, interesting, Dom, Mm -hmm. Rose, as a bridge for fans of the old show Mm -hmm. to this is what it's going to be like. If you're not a fan of the show, you can just drop in to the new show because it's it's like modern contemporary television Mm -hmm. i wouldn't drop a newcomer into classic who because television was so different back then but for just introducing someone one not the first thing i'd show them because this is still the number four slot 
But one of the things I would show them is the 11th Doctor Christmas special, A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy this. It's a lot of fun. It's got Matt Smith. It has, it takes the classic Christmas story, which I actually don't like. I, I don't like Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I appreciate certain aspects of it, and as a morality tale, it's fine. It just has nothing to do with Christmas. Right. In fact, it's kind of like a bunch of Doctor Who Christmas specials. It has nothing to do with Christmas except it happens to occur at Christmas time. That's true. But what I love here is it takes the familiar tropes from A Christmas Carol with the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future and does them through time travel. Right. And especially the final twist where the Doctor reveals Kazdan Sardik's future self to his younger self as the ghost of Christmas future. It's just really moving. And then the you have you have comedy, you have fear, you have romance, you've got all kinds of stuff going on. You have love, you have loss mm-hmm. um, is a prominent theme in this. And it's really a very satisfying watch. And despite the fact I don't like the source, I'm not a fan of the source material, I am a fan of this presentation of it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm glad we had. Oh, we've already done that one. Uh, past Christmas, I forget when when we did it, but we it was. I that's one of my favorite Christmas specials too. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that, and I, the 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 lovely singing by the actress. I can't remember her name now, but she's uh, got a beautiful voice, and her singing in it is just fantastic. So I, that that makes it really great for me too. Maybe we can start calling them uh, Winter Solstice specials instead of Christmas specials. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, uh, Father Corey, what's your next one? So I am going to, and I said I'm moving out of Classic Who, but I am going to pick the 96 movie. Okay. Again, mm. you know, and what, what's funny is when it first came out, there was a lot of uproar, and I wasn't the biggest fan of it at the time. As I said, when we reviewed it, it's, it's grown on me. And I, the reason why I say it's essential is, is, is you're looking at Who throughout at the development of Doctor Who, both the, the lore of it and the series, there's a lot of connections between the two it very much is an old a classic who now i can't say classic who story but it's got elements of classic who but it definitely is leading more towards the new who style of story there's elements that come out and are developed in new who uh, the biggest one of course is the kiss you know that's the big right. deal the doctor kissed her out of excitement wasn't even really out of passion but there was you know uh just a lot of things that kind of were developed more uh, coming into new who's so you can see it i really see it as the bridge leading to eventually rose you know yeah it really is a connection between the two of them and again you know looking back it really is much better of course it also gives us you know the eighth doctor who, who much more developed in big finish as we've started to talk about as well as the night of the doctor the little night of the doctor special which mm-hmm. frankly that could have been a whole 50th anniversary story in my opinion but anyways yep. <laughs> uh, it probably should have been, but so yeah, it, it's the, the 96 movie is worth watching. It's not worth putting on the shelf and ignoring again. It, it's more as much of to appreciate how doctor who developed, especially during that time where it was in hiatus. Before I get to my next pick, I, I do want to kind of jump off of something you said, Jimmy, which is that mm-hmm. uh, if you're, if I was going to drop someone in fresh to doctor who, like you said, I wouldn't necessarily drop them in, on Rose. In fact, I probably would skip the first five episodes of that first season mm. and take them right to Dalek. 
because I think mm. that's really where it gets good. In fact, when I was introducing my wife Melanie to Doctor Who, that's what I did. Because <laughs> mm. the right before that is Aliens of London and World War Three, and I'm like, she is never going to watch another episode of Doctor Who if I if I make her sit through those. So uh, once you hit Dalek, that's where that really that first season hit hit its stride. But uh, but th- that's not my pick. Mm-hmm. My pick for the next one is uh, for for number four is Blink. Mm-hmm. 10th Doctor episode, obviously, Doctor and Martha Jones. And not necessarily coincidentally another Stephen Moffat uh, uh, story. But I feel like this is nearly a perfect episode of TV, even even though the Doctor is largely absent from it. And that that's, makes it seem kind of <laughs> ironic. But it shows how Doctor Who can work when in that circumstance, how the, the Doctor's presence off screen really informs the story. And it introduces one of the best villains, I think, ever created for TV. I mean, the Weeping Angels are clever and interesting, and they kind of overuse them later on and undermine them. In fairness, this is something that happens with every popular villain. They tend to become yes. less impressive the more you use mm-hmm. them. Exactly. It happens to Star Trek, happens here. But the Weeping Angels here are menacing, terrifying, really great. And I think Sally Sparrow is delightful. And in this too, so I really like Sally Sparrow. So uh, my pick here is Blink. Jimmy, what's your next pick? My next pick is Blink. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're in the top three, and this is a narrow runner-up to my top two things to introduce people to Doctor Who with, but it is one that I often will start with. The limitation that Blink has is it's both Dr. Light and Companion Light. So you, mm-hmm. even though you get a sense that this show is about time travel and we have some really timey-wimey stuff, in fact, this is the episode that introduces the phrase wibbly-wobbly timey-wimey. Right. It doesn't give you the full roundedness of what you'd get in a typical episode with the Doctor being the active protagonist accompanied by a companion. You get a little bit of that here. But really, Sally Sparrow is the is the main protagonist in this. Still, it is such an enjoyable story that I I have used it with, for people. If we've got only forty five minutes to introduce them to Doctor Who, this is one of the things I'll show them. Excellent, Father Corey. Well, I do. I want to do want to take a point though. Something you said, Dom, that you know, in 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 Blink. The doctor is off screen. No, this is the most literally the doctor is on screen. <laughs> this, this is most of the episode. He is on an, a TV screen or a DVD player screen. So this is about That's as literal right. as on screen as you can get within an episode. But for my ne- my next one, I am going to kind of touch on the, the timeless child one for the next one. But it's the introduction of Ruth Doctor or Doctor Ruth. Oh, uh, however you want to put <laughs> yeah. it, fugitive of Jadoon. And it, I, I, I think we kind of agreed it was an enjoyable episode on its own. The Jadoon mm-hmm. actually were done well in this, unlike their previous uh, incarnations, shall we say. But then, of course, we see, you know, we get Dr. Ruth. We get this this great character. Uh, very much, she she definitely held herself as the Doctor. Uh, she was more interesting than Jodie Whittaker. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. <laughs> right. We actually liked her better as the Doctor than Jodie Whittaker, which... Kind of makes you wonder if they kind of went, hmm, we kind of messed up there. But <laughs> <laughs> right. But it but it, and it you know, and it does introduce what later became known as the timeless child. And I, I think depending on how they play it, it can have much more serious aspect for the future of the series. Because the idea of the timeless child is not just that uh 
the doctor has more regenerations we know about, but that the doctor is actually where the Time Lords came from, ultimately. Right. You know, that the, the doctor was, is so important in the history of the Time Lords that without the doctor, there would not be the Time Lords. And, but it's going to be interesting to see in, you know, next season coming in, you know, over a year, supposedly, we don't even know when, how they are going to play that. Or are they, is it going to be one of these story arcs that then they just, they just leave out there and drop like so many of the Stephen Moffat story arcs where they were out there, they got resolved and they were done. So, yeah. but I, uh, I think it's, I think it's going to have further ramifications that Chris Chibnall is going to play with. As do I. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. But I want my four audio play big finish Dr. Ruth set now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, nice. I mean, she, yes. was, she was just fantastic. And, and I, yeah. I think there's stuff there that can be explored with big finish as far as it's pretty clear. Dr. Ruth is free, you know, the doctor's pre-heart memory, pre heart yeah. now. Yeah. So that means there's a lot there they can explore and have fun right. with. And, and I, I think that could be a great potential for, a uh, big finish to pick up eventually. So excellent. My next one is this is bound to be a little controversial uh, because this is not, I wouldn't pick this as the best Doctor Who of the 12th Doctor era, mm-hmm. but I wanted one from that era. And, and I, I think this one qualifies because Magician's Apprentice and Witch is Familiar. I'm picking mm-hmm. it it's, as a pair, it's a two parter. Because it's Missy in full. And Missy, yeah. to me, is the most delightful Doctor Who villain I've ever, I've ever encountered for myself. I mean, just, I love Missy. She's the best. And she really is at her peak in this episode. And the 12th Doctor here hits his stride as well. That messiness of his first season is kind of gone. That personality messiness is not gone. Faded, shall we say. The edges have been rounded off a bit. Clara has reached peak companion. Uh, I've I've liked Clara, especially given the loss of Danny Pink at the end of the previous season. And we're about to see Clara's resolution arc come through in this season. And so this is the beginning of that. We have the return of Davros and Scaro. We have the temptation of the Doctor once again. uh, This sort of temptation of the the desert uh, style temptation where... I will give you all this power to do good. Just have to mm-hmm. take it from me, the evil king, you know, the origin of the Daleks. And it's it, it's really, I, I really enjoy that. So I like these two episodes together as uh, as being somewhat essential for understanding the, compl- the complete Doctor. So, Jimmy, what's your next one? Moving up to number two, I have Midnight. Mm-hmm. Midnight is... I often actually show it to people after I show them Blink, mm-hmm. but it's another one that if we only have 45 minutes, I could use this to introduce someone to Doctor Who. Blink uh, has the disadvantage, as we mentioned, of its Doctor Light and Companion Light. Well, mm-hmm. Midnight is Companion Light because Donna is only in the opening and closing scenes. But it's not Dr. Light. It's Dr. Focused. And he really has companions in this because he's trapped on the bus and on the space bus. And everybody else on the bus are effectively his companions for this um, for this episode. We have this terrifying thing that even though we survive it, it's there's still mystery left in the air about it. 
so you kind of have the best of both worlds, you know? Mm-hmm. You have wonder that that remains as well as dramatic tension that gets resolved. And the the character studies of the individual characters on the bus and how they all have very different personalities and motives and they're interacting in ways that are very character based and it's just really well well written and even though i like stephen moffat better as a writer than russell t davies this episode by russell t davies in terms of raw enjoyment for me slightly edges out blank mm. And so I would I would put this at the number two slot, but it's still not my number one. Okay, Father Corey. So for my my next one, um, I'm going with a doctor, probably about the most doctor light doctor light episode you can have, and that's Turn Left. This is Donna Donna Noble. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is this is a story I've always kind of enjoyed because I, I found it interesting to think about the you know. What would the Doctor Universe look like if the Doctor actually died? And before mm. Donna even got to meet him, and because of you know a choice that she had made, you know turning left instead of turning right, where everything didn't fall in place, and the Doctor ended up dying during the uh, Runaway Bride event. So I, I think it's very interesting because you get to see Donna's character develop even without the doctor there where she has to be strong and she has to face all these things that are going on in their lives as the world is literally falling apart. All these alien invasions that the doctor was able to stop. He wasn't there to stop. Right. And of course, you know, then we see Rose coming in and trying to, trying to find him and trying to find out what's going on. And of course it does it even for being seemingly kind of a standalone alternate universe episode. It actually plays into the story arc of that seat, that whole season. It just didn't seem like it at the time until you look back at it and see that, no, this, these are all events that kind of play together. Right. Again, it's a very interesting concept in who, especially for alternate universe. Father, what's that on your back? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there's nothing there. I don't see anything. <laughs> yeah, good. it does have the, the giant uh, time, time sucking uh, beetle. Time beetles. beetle. But, yeah. But it, it's, it's, it, 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 I think it really is an interesting concept, an interesting uh, uh, story. So I guess that brings it around to me. And I'm going to pick one. So we've gone from Dr. Light to Dr. Heavy, which is, I think, Day of the Doctor is another essential mm-hmm. uh, for New Who. And this because it brings together three doctors, two we've, we're familiar with and a third one who's brand new. So we have the 10th, the 11th, and the War Doctor played by John Hurt. This was the 50th anniversary special, and it was so well done. It it brings together. It, it really jumps back into the mythology of the of the Time Lords and of the Time War that was introduced with the return of New Who. So it really kind of delves into what happened there. What did the Doctor experience? Not delves into, but touches on really uh, what happened to the Doctor in the Time War. It was introduced by that one, the Eighth Doctor mini episode that you mentioned, Father Corey, which was the the Night of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyed this one, and I think it really plays out how did, you know, when when you have the multiple Doctor episodes of the Classic Who, it really plays out how, the you know, different Doctors are, are different from each other. And I think this does this for New Who, this encounter. And it's you know, so far the only, well, it's not, it's te- I guess technically it's not the only multiple Doctor episode in New Who because we've had 
as you mentioned, Dr. Ruth, but really multiple yeah, doctors that we're familiar with. Time crash. Oh, right. I mean, it's not, I guess I forgot it because it's not a regular episode, but it is a mini episode, which has the fifth doctor and the 10th doctor. So you're right. You're right. It's not the only one. Definitely the, to my money, the funnest of the multi-doctor yes. stories. Right. Especially when you understand the background behind things as well. Yeah. So, but I, my, so my number, my number two was, it would be day of the doctor. And of course it ends with Tom Baker's uh, cameo. So that makes it even more special. But Jimmy, what's, what's your number one when we get to it? Oh, who knows? Who <laughs> knows? <laughs> Actually, if I have, so if I have more than 45 minutes to introduce someone to Doctor Who, if I can show them a couple of ap- episodes, I will show them the two-parter, Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead. Mm-hmm. This one is neither Doctor Light nor Companion Light, because mm-hmm. you have the Doctor and Donna together throughout. Mm-hmm all of the two parts. You have going to another planet. You have horror in the form of the Vash Narada. Mm-hmm. You have a really creepy, effectively done horror with, hey, who turned out the lights? And yes. Donna Noble has been saved. Donna Noble has been saved. <laughs> and reality bending stuff with the children in the, in the, in, for once, there are, even though in general, anytime there's a holodeck, my interest goes down, it can be played well. Mm-hmm. And here, in the visionary world that Donna goes to, it is played well, because we're not sure what's happening to her when she's at the hospital with Dr. Moon, and yep. he's clearly manipulating her and events, but we're not sure why. And the disfigured Miss Evangelista shows up in a veil and is pulling back the curtain to help Donna realize she's in a simulated reality and all of the children are the same and Mm. she's advancing through time in a dreamlike way, not in a realistic way. And then we have Cal, the little girl who is dealing with her own problems and Dr. Moon is there too somehow. And of course we have the introduction, the hail and the farewell of River Song. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, and, and the, even after River has sacrificed herself, we have the desperate, you know, effort to save her in some form, which then happens. And even though it's an Easter egg that wasn't revealed until just this year, we have Dr. Moon as the final incarnation of the doctor. (laughs) If I have time to introduce somebody to Dr. Who with more than one episode, this is what I'll show them. Father Corey? So from the last one, of course, I, I didn't do, obviously, this in kind of a strict, you know, 10 to 1 ranking. Um, it was kind of hard to come up with that. So that's why I did yeah. more classic Who into new Who. Mm-hmm. But the, one I, the last one I would pick is uh, Utopia. This is the one where it's like the far, far last dredges of humanity. The universe is dying and we get the master back. This mm-hmm. is where the master first shows up in new Who. I wish Derek Jacoby's master would have stuck around more than about like five minutes. I know. I liked him so much better than John Sim as the master. Fortunately, there are the Big Finish War Master series starring Derek Jacoby. There's like three or four volumes of that now. That's that's the one I'll have to. That's another one of those, you know, in in all this money I make as a priest. Ha ha ha. And, and and you his his master in those series is true to what we see on screen. He he is more charming and and sedate in a certain way and can even be good. One of the stories is titled The Good Master. 
but then he he'll turn ruthless. Yeah, and right. so it's a mix of of the good and the bad. You can see the progression towards Missy right. being able to be both good and bad, and ultimately redeemed. I mean, I mean, if you want, you can move on to uh, Sound of Drums and Last of the Time Lords if you want to see that whole story arc complete because it is really a three parter. Even though it's you know yeah. it's considered a two parter, Utopia is really kind of like the prequel to the two parter, so it's really a three parter. Interestingly, both Turn Left and Utopia have the same actress. The palm reader in Turn Left is also Chanthro, the assistant in yeah. oh. Utopia. Yep. So it, that's kind of just kind of weird connection. I was thinking about. I realized as I'm sitting sitting here doing this, but it's a. Uh, it just I, I it was it was great to see that reintroduction of the master, and again, just that few minutes that Derek Jacoby is the master is just awesome. So right, excellent. Well, uh, so for my last regular pick is. Uh, Jimmy, it's the same one. Silence in the Library, Forest and the Dead. I agree. If I had to sit someone down for one two-parter, that would be the one for the same reasons that you mentioned. I also like the fact that it's another story of the Doctor confronted with an impossible choice. You know, he's he he, he has to make a a choice that it just seems, how can you possibly choose? He's essentially outwitted at nearly every turn in this one. You know, every time he thinks he's got the answer, he doesn't. It has an unexpected resolution. It has the interaction River song. So awesome in all those ways. One thing I was noticing as we made our picks is we've essentially, uh, for for the new Who picks, the s- series four, season four of the new Who, we've picked four episodes out of that, uh, which is kind of interesting how that that Donna Noble season really seems to be, you know, have been a real key season for, for Doctor Who. So that's, uh, I thought that was very interesting. So since since you you picked Science Library and Force the Dead, I'm gonna have pick a bonus pick, <laughs> and this one I'm just is gonna gonna be a pick just because it's it satisfies one of my bones I want to pick with New Who, which is I want to pick the Reign of Terror from the First Doctor because it's an awesome pure historical, even though mm-hmm. uh, it only exists in the audio form now. But I really enjoyed the listening to that, and I really think it shows how pure historicals can work with Doctor Who. And they really ought to do those more in the future. Well, I'll be interested to see if you, once you've had a chance to hear Marco Polo and the Romans, if yeah. you if you move one of them into that bonus slot. I uh, yeah I, I'm yeah uh, that that is a provisional slot because I haven't heard all of the pure historicals yet. All right, that's awesome. So I want to close things out, but first, uh, uh, before we do that, I want to kind of talk a little bit about the future of the Secrets of Doctor Who. We've got, we've done 200 episodes. We are not done by, by any not by means. a long shot. Not by a long <laughs> shot. There is a whole lot of classic Doctor Who that we still need to go through. We're still working our way through a rewatch of New Who. Uh, we're only up to the 11th Doctor. Once we get to the end of the 11th Doctor, that will, we will have finished uh, our watch, and we got to decide what we're going to do from there. Maybe we'll rewatch the 12th Doctor because uh, by then it will have been eight or ten years since it was on, uh, and uh, we're. Definitely delving into the uh, other media as well. The big finished productions are definitely worthy of the this, this sort of treatment that we, we're giving uh, the TV shows. And in fact, we're already, already doing that with The Eighth Doctor. So well, there's a lot of Secrets of Doctor Who left. So once we get to 300 and 400, we're going to have to figure out something else we can do for a special celebration. <laughs> <laughs> Least essential episodes. <laughs> so the, the, the most yeah. forgettable episodes of Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, that, that, uh, well, that would be fun. Just a rant episode. <laughs> we could that would be interesting 
But uh, but until then, I do want to you know encourage the listener. What are your essential episodes? What do you think mm-hmm. is the best out there? What do you think is the, the sort of thing that can't be missed? And what do you think of our listings? In a second, I'll give you how to contact us with that information. But before we do, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Jonathan H., Scott E., David G., Jeffrey K., and Jesse W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give and ensure we make it to episode 300. We also want to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. And a special thanks to you, the listener. If without, of course, without you as a listener and subscriber to the show, we wouldn't be doing this. So we are very grateful to you. Let us know what you think of our 10 essential stories of Doctor Who and what your essential stories of Doctor Who are by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the second Doctor story, The Faceless Ones, which is newly available as an animated episode. So we'll be t- back talking about that soon. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, we're just getting started. Right. This is going to be fun.